You are as beautiful as Tirzah, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Sixty queens there may be, and eighty concubines, and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Friends, who is this that appears like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession? He I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley, to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. Friends, come back, come back, O Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may gaze on you. He, why would you gaze on the Shulamite as on the dance of Mahaniam? How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hand. Your navel is as round is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon. By the gate of Bath Rabin. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, looking towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are, and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. She. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vineyards have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. If only you were to me like a brother who is nursed at my mother's breasts, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you, and no one would despise me. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Let's pray before Johnny preaches. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word that we have here that we can read and understand more of you. We pray that as Johnny preaches to us through this video, that you would be 
speaking to our hearts, that our minds would be open to hear, that we would be challenged, that we would be refreshed from what you have to say to us through Johnny. And we also we pray for Johnny at home as he's recovering, that you would bring him peace there. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm sorry not to be with you today, but uh, God is with you. and He's with me now and his word is not bound by our weaknesses. So let's look at Song of Songs 6, 4, 3 to 8, 4 together. And the Song of Songs has given us this uh, beautiful vision of a love relationship, hasn't it? And in that it is intended to inspire us. But I don't know about you, I've also found it really quite frustrating because who of us has a relationship like this, like the one celebrated and depicted here? This poetry causes me to realise how much I fall short and how much I need to grow in my own marriage and my own love. And I'm sure all of us in, in various different ways feel the pains and the longings of what we so often don't experience and don't have as we get a taste here in this song of what is as close to a perfect relationship as seems possible. You know, this isn't only about our marriages and our romantic lives, but it's also our friendships, which the song um, gives us a, a good model for and, and a vision for. And so we may be inspired by the vision of love and intimacy and, and mutual delight with one another. And yet we're sad because even our closest friends, even our best and deepest relationships and friendships don't quite hit that spot, do they? Early on in marriage, I remember when someone once described marriage to me like the sum sin squared. They said it's, it's two people who are struggling with sin, trying to live together and often sinfully responding to being sinned against. And it can feel just like that sometimes, just like sin is multiplying all over the place. And then it gets really goes off the chart when you add kids into the mix as well. And it just multiplies and multiplies. Now, that's a pretty bleak outlook. And thankfully, it's not the whole truth by any stretch. But it does tap into something important for us. Sin in our hearts and in our lives can cause real problems in our relationships, can't it? We're following this couple as they navigate this uh, relationship. And at the moment, they're navigating some challenges in the relationship. They've hit some bumps in the road and they've had this fallout, as we saw last week, uh, and need to be restored. Now, it's difficult to spot any obvious sin here, I think. And yet even the best relationships have real and genuine frustrations, have relational difficulties and have trials and conflicts that they need to navigate and grow through. You know, we have to work hard at our relationships, don't we? In fact, you could say this, that the health of a relationship over time is not marked by the absence of conflict or of difficulty, but our ability to grow through it and our ability to reconcile and to learn from it together. And that's where the song helps us. It helps us see how our relationships of love can mature and be fruitful over a lifetime. If you like how we can marinate our our relationships in this love. So I think we don't ultimately need to be frustrated by the song, but actually hopeful. While it rightly elevates our vision for our marriages and our relationships, it also keeps our expectations in check. You see, marriage is not the ultimate relationship. Neither is any friendship the pinnacle of the relationship that we are made for or we can have. We need to be careful not to have too high expectations of our spouse 
of our friends in our relationships with one another. The ultimate relationship that this song is about, the relationship we've all been made for, the pinnacle of human experience in relationships is the beautiful relationship between Christ and his people. It's a relationship of love that the Bible calls a profound mystery. And it's poetically described like a spiritual marriage. And we do have and we can experience a relationship like this, this perfect relationship the song celebrates if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens, you see, it's through our experience of that relationship with Christ, of his faithful and his enduring love for us, that we learn to love others, that we learn to build relationships of love with one another that last a lifetime. Now, listen, there's much in our reading today and we can't cover it all. But I just want to focus on these three strands um, in this poetry that, if you like, intertwine to make a strong chord of love that lasts. And, and the first strand we're going to look at is the idea of attention. And that's in chapter six, verses four to ten. It's there on page uh, six, eight, four of the Red Bibles, if you've got one. Attention. Don't be like the husband who said, I told my, life, my, my wife that I loved her once and I'll let her know the day that that changes. Don't be like that. As, as, as we pick up the poem, um, she, the wife, is probably feeling fairly vulnerable. After the fallout we saw last week, she's affirmed her love and her desire for him, but he's not yet reciprocated that. And so for their relationship to be restored, it needs to not be a solo, but a duet. We need to hear from him. And he has the emotional intelligence to know that she needs him to reaffirm his love for her. And, and so he repeats his love for her again. Now, the emphasis here is on the word repeat, because if you see and you might have spotted it, he uses it almost exactly the same lines that uh, we saw in chapter four a few weeks ago. Now, this is a bit like um, a husband reusing last year's Valentine's card from his wife, kind of finding it out of, you know, out of the drawer and, and, and giving it again this year. And you might think that wouldn't go down too well, but actually it's deeply reassuring for her. After their fight, he loves her still. He still feels the same way about her. Now, you might think you've told a close friend or, or a family member or, or your spouse what you love and appreciate about them before. But listen, if you still see those things, if you still feel those things and think those things, it's probably there's worth repeating when you can. It's not people-pleasing or, or flattery to encourage others in what we appreciate and, and value in them. And in fact, it is one way that our relationships grow in depth and quality together, as well as helping others grow personally through this. You know, sometimes it's those who are closest to us who we most neglect to encourage and build up with our words. This could be an important reminder for us, uh, those of us who are parents, to continually encourage and affirm our children so they know that they're secure in our love and our appreciation as they grow. But it also seems here that the, the husband's uh, appreciation for his wife is growing. Verse 4, he says that she's as beautiful as Terza. Uh, she's uh, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. She is powerful and strong. She is majestic and awesome like these two formidable capital cities of Israel and Judah. He recognises and he praises her for her strength of character. 
So if anything, it seems that his love and his desire for her grows in intensity over time. Turn your eyes from me, he says, they overwhelm me. And under this kind of love and security, she blossoms. In verse 10, her friends see it as she grows in beauty and majesty, appearing like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession. She is from out of this world. You see, he has eyes only for her. His attention is fixated on her in contrast to the promiscuity of the ancient kings like Solomon, who who we read took um, countless wives for themselves and, and many more concubines. No, she is one in a million to him. He is single minded and wholehearted in his delight of her. She is my dove, he says. My perfect one is unique. It is an undivided heart and it is undivided attention that this husband has for his wife. As we say in our wedding vows, those of us who have said them, forsaking all others, be faithful to you. And and that commitment, you see, needs to be reaffirmed through thick and thin in good days as well as bad. This is one of the reasons that porn is so destructive for a marriage. Because through it, our attention is divided. Our love and our desire is spread abroad to many rather than focus solely on one, on our husband or wife. And it erodes the very foundation of trust and intimacy that a healthy marriage is built on. Listen, if that's a fight that you're losing rather than winning, At the moment, please speak to a trusted friend and get some help and support, as well as speaking to your spouse. But but let's reflect for a moment on how amazing it is that Christ's undivided attention is fixed on us as his people, because ultimately this is about Christ and us. You see, Jesus is a one-woman man. He is unwavering in his devotion and love for you. If you're a Christian, he chose you. He knows you. He loves you. He's given you his own spirit and he's always available to you and present with you, even when, especially when, there's a breach or some kind of issue in your relationship with him that's never caused by him, but only by our sin. I love how it's described in the Garden of Eden. Right after Adam and Eve have turned away from God, they've rejected God disobeyed him and and pushed him aside. Do you know what God does? He comes after them. He draws near to them in that very moment. Now, Now many assume, perhaps rightly, that God was in the habit with walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, in, in the context of their perfect relationship. And so this God coming into the garden and coming towards them it is nothing new. And that probably is the case. But isn't it fascinating that this is the first time that it's mentioned? Immediately after they have committed quite literally the defining sin in all of history against God, God comes near to them in love and in grace. So too with us. So too with us. We need not keep Jesus at arm's length in our heart and our soul whenever we sin. In fact, we must not because we have his attention and his love. He is for us 
And Jesus comes to us again, not to condemn, but to repeat and to reiterate his love and his grace. And that is what exactly what each and every one of us needs in that moment. Think of this, the eyes of Christ's chosen ones still overcome him. When we look to him for help, when we look to him for grace and love, he is overwhelmed in love and he is drawn to us. However broken and ugly we in fact are. This is the beautiful strand of attention in our relationship with Christ and our relationships with one another. The second strand is this. It is affection. And so we pick up here in chapter 6, verse 11, and it runs through to 7 and verse 9, affection. In verses 1 to 9 of of chapter 7, it's it's, it's another song of love and delight of this husband over his wife, expressing his affection. Now, now before that, in verse 11 of chapter 6, it's a little bit ambiguous, but but this is what the situation seems to be. It's springtime, and she is headed out uh, of town to a walnut grove to enjoy the spring growth and and the buds uh, and the blooms. Now, in our Bibles, in the NIV, it says uh, in verse 11 that the speaker is is he. But actually, in the original, it's really not clear who the speaker is. And it seems to make more sense to me that it is now her speaking. So so that that should really say she at verse 11. In verse 13, we see that, that she is bid to come back by her friends and indeed by her lover too, it seems. So they may gaze upon her and her beauty. Just like this popular dance of, of Mahanaim at the time, where people watch these beautiful movements and they're kind of transfixed and, and fixated with, with, with these dances in, in rapt attention. It's as if he's watching her dance as he waxes lyrical about her from, feet, from her feet all the way to the top of her head. And, and as he does that, as, as the poetry flows, he taps into the imagery of the famous and beautiful landmarks from the land of Israel, the promised land. He describes her beauty. He describes his great affection and appreciation for her. Here is his queen depicted in her beautiful crown and the royal tapestry that she's wearing. And he is held captive by her beauty. Verse six, how beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. As he turns his attention to his wife, it leads into a deep and profound affection and not a critical spirit. He delights in her. Now, make no mistake, this is deeply sexual. Quite clearly, he doesn't want to just look at her and describe her, but he wants to enjoy, delight, and the pleasure of the fruit of their intimacy together. But we must see too, but there is more going on here. This is so much more than sexual. The imagery is as much about her character, which is an overflow of her soul, as it is her body. He delights in her strength and her resilience and her majesty and her dignity and her grace. The imagery isn't just visual, but it represents all these other things. You see, he's not just speaking affectionately affectionately to her to get sex. But he wants to reconnect with her as a whole person and for their whole relationship to be restored. You know, when you're trying to resolve an argument with someone, why not see if you can pause 
for a moment and say something that you like or appreciate in the other person. It's not very easy in the midst of conflict and yet it totally changes the tone and can be greatly helpful in navigating those moments. Maybe it feels a bit sickly to you how this, uh, how this couple here, how quickly they're gushing with love and, and appreciation for one another after a fallout. And maybe you think, I don't really feel like that in that context. But it's important for us to remember, isn't it, that love is not only an emotion, but it's also an action and a commitment. In fact, the healthiest marriages are, commit, uh, are built by a commitment to a sacrificial love for one another, often regardless and even in spite of our feelings in any given moment. And as we do that, as we commit ourselves to that kind of love to another, do you know what happens? We actually find that over time our feelings of love and affection grow as a result of that as well. It works in our friendships too. For example, maybe there's others in in your gospel family that you don't naturally connect with or, or maybe don't naturally particularly get on with. But if you invest in a relationship with them and move towards them and spend time with them and and, and uh, express affection and appreciation for them, then you find that your appreciation and your love for them grows. There's things that you see and you experience in them that you didn't realise that you had come to like and enjoy and appreciate so much. The Bible's command, the repeated command in the Bible to love one another is a call to action and not a call merely to an emotional state. But what does this show us about our relationship with Christ? Well, an old American preacher called Jonathan Edwards described the Christian like this. A Christian is one who is being beautified. A Christian is one who is being beautified. And that's just such a lovely description. You see, Christ has set his affection on his people. And just like the wife here, we flourish as people under his attention and his affection. We we know, don't we, that people flourish into all they've been made to be in the context of a stable and secure uh, relationship of love on repeat. That's how kids flourish as they grow up. And, and, And indeed, we see it across all of our relationships. And it is true in our spiritual lives as well. It is not by us knowing or getting to learn more rules or working harder or doing better that we grow in grace and um, that, that we grow as people. But it's in the grace and the loving kindness of Jesus It's in his drawing near to us, in his compassion for us and his affection for us on repeat day after day again and again. It's him always being present to us. That's what restores and renews us. It changes us. And makes us more and more lovely as people. Jesus loved us not because we were lovely in ourselves. But to make us lovely. And that is what he's doing in the lives of Christians. That's what he's doing in your life. If you're one of his people today. This is a love that lasts. A love that matures and endures. Here's the third strand of a love that lasts, and it is time. Chapter 7, verse 9 to 8, verse 4, time. So she responds in type, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me, verse 10. 
three times in the song. She says this or something like this, a, a version of my beloved is mine and I am his. It's the beautiful refrain of the song, this mutual belonging, this delight of this desire and this love that lasts. And actually she wants to spend time together so that their love may be expressed and grow and be fruitful. So firstly, she invites him to come away on this romantic weekend break in the countryside. Let's get away and be alone together. Let's have some quality time together out in the country vineyard with the blossom and the blooming uh, plants. This is a, a romantic break for there she promises to give him her love. According to God's design, sexual love is a gift to be given and not something to be taken. It is to be other-centred and never self-centred. But again, it's more than just sex that she envisions here. The imagery of budding plants, particularly the pomegranates and the mandrakes in that time and place were all images and represented fertility and fruitfulness. Her hope and her desire is that their love will bear the fruit of children together. She wants to start a family together. But but then when they're back in town, she also wants them to be free to be together and to express their love. So she says in the beginning of chapter eight, if only you were like a brother to me. Now, now for us, if a girl says to a guy, I, you know, I, I kind of just think of you like a brother, then that's pretty much the kiss of death for uh, the relationship. It's, it's, it's not really what the guy wants to, to hear. But back then, public displays of affection were frowned upon between husbands and wives. Whereas blood family siblings could, could, uh, were free to show uh, appropriate levels of, of affection and, and intimacy in, in public. And, and back in that culture, they'd often you know, exchange kisses and things as, as, as ways of showing that their love. So she longs that she can publicly display her love for him and, and not be despised in that. You see, time together, both alone and also with others in community, a key for building relationships of love that deepen and last. I think that's why for the third time here at the end of this section, we are rem- uh, reminded not to arouse or awaken this kind of love until it so desires. Because this sexual love is to be, in, um, is to be embedded in the security of a lifelong bond of a covenant relationship where attention and affection and time are all commitments that are publicly made before many other people till death do us part. Now listen, if you're married, I want to say to you, go on dates. Maybe even go on the occasional weekend away together if you can. I saw on TV this week this couple who said that they had not been on a single date since they had kids and their kids were now teenagers. And that's really unhealthy for a marriage. If we don't prioritise time alone with our spouse, then we may find what so many sadly discover, that when our kids are all grown up and left home, the only thing that was holding us together is now gone. and There's no relationship left. Don't make that mistake. In our friendships too, time together is vital for growing depth and growing intimacy. But we've got to be patient in the early days of friendships, realising that it takes time to grow these things. It takes time together to grow in depth. 
We need to be intentional in giving them that kind of time and space and attention to grow. Now, as we close, let me ask you how you will respond to Jesus's always open invitation to you out of love to spend time with you. Jesus is one who gives himself in love to you. He sacrificially gives himself for his people. He doesn't seek to take from us, but to give to us. Johnny explained last week from Revelation 3, this picture that's given us of Jesus knocking on the door of the heart of his people, looking for us to open up our hearts to him again and and our souls to him so we may enjoy deep relationship with him and we may spend time with him and enjoy his presence and, and him with us. Don't make your Christian life all about the activities that you do for Jesus, as good as they may be, whilst you neglect just to be with Jesus. To know and be known, to enjoy him, to love him and to rest in his love for you. This is his invitation to us today. Whatever your week's been like. Whatever you've done this week. Come now. Sit with him a while and enjoy his presence and enjoy his love again. And you know, as we do that, as his people, as we experience that, on repeat in our lives with him, we're able to give this kind of love in our relationships with each other. Let me pray and then you can sing and and pray together in response to these things. Jesus, we, we thank you and we praise you for your great love for us. And we thank you that we can love because you first loved us. Any here this morning who are struggling to or not experiencing or knowing your love for them, please, by your spirit, would you show them how much you love them? And Lord, for all of us that are struggling to love well in our relationships with one another, in our friendships, in our marriages, in all of our relationships, Lord, would you help us to love just the way that you have loved us and it will be for our and other people's good and it will be for your glory in jesus name amen